study. Thanks for watching. I'm Jason Mangum, the pastor of the River Church, and I have with me my friend and co-author uh, Mark Anderson, who is a commentator and journalist and uh, leading authority on a lot of different subjects regarding government, uh, the Bilderberg Group, uh, regarding the Trilateral Commission, regarding you know some of the different organizations that are out there, secret societies, and has been doing it for 34 years. Is that right? Uh, that's just about right. Yeah, the, the last 15 have been more into the deeper stuff. Yeah. Before that, it was more basic journalism, school boards, city councils, yeah. things like that. Yeah, but all, but you see, the thing is, every single citizen of the United States of America should get involved in some area of government, meaning at a local level, you know, get involved with your local politicians, the different ones that are, that are out there, that... Uh, you know, are, are, are representing you to make sure that they are representing you and you need to be a voice and all of that. But today we're going to talk about really the ABCs of Bilderberg, what Bilderberg is, what they stand for, what they do. So you would have a better understanding of this group Bilderberg because many of you probably watching either have never heard of Bilderberg or maybe you've heard of them and uh, you think that's just a place that some people meet at a hotel and uh, have a good time and it's like almost like a luxury vacation. But there's really a lot more uh, that goes on in the Bilderberg Group and it makes it for interesting uh, when you have people, world leaders and other billionaires coming to meet in private and, uh, and there's this whole secrecy around it, but we're going to do the best. And Mark He's the leading authority on this stuff, and he's going to explain uh, kind of the basics and ABCs of Bilderberg. So, Mark, what really is Bilderberg? Uh, Bilderberg or the Bilderberg Group. The Bilderberg Group is a steering committee of what is now 30 people. Uh, people often argue over semantics. Is the Bilderberg uh, is the is Bilderberg? They use it as a noun. Is it a conference or a group? And they actually argue. Oh, it's a conference. No, it's a group. Well, it's both. There's a group, there's a core group um, that was founded with uh, surnames like Rockefeller and so on. And that group became a steering committee in what's called the Bilderberg Meetings Foundation, a foundation okay. called Bilderberg Meetings. So they formed a foundation and that foundation uh, uh, animates or directs the steering committee, which now is about 30 people. So there's the group. And they decide who to invite, where to meet, and when, and what topics to discuss. And this has been going on since the year 1954. The first Bilderberg meeting, which wasn't called that when it was the very first Bilderberg meeting, they, they adopted the name Bilderberg from the first hotel they met at in that first meeting called the Hotel D. Bilderberg in Oosterbeek, the Netherlands. So the name stuck. Okay. It's a namesake. Yeah. If you look it up now, it's just a, a, a nice, but you might say average nice hotel. By today's standards, there's hotels far nicer, but for its day, it was pretty posh. <laughs> um, and coming out of World War II, there was some rationale. I'm not going to say that Bilderberg is 100% dyed-in-the-wool evil overlords or yeah. an evil group. They do or at least they did have an ostensible purpose coming out of World War II to build better relations between uh, what they foresaw as the need for a united Europe, a unified Europe, 
what they call transatlantic relations with uh, the United States, which emerged after World War II as the undisputed superpower. That's when the baby boom came along. Not okay, after that, right. we had the big industrial. Um, you know, one of our best times economically in terms of wages. Uh, you know, the 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 glorious fifties. You know, the car in every parking lot. The, you know, the ideal family. Sure. Uh, and so, America. You know, was uh, looking good. Everything's looking great. Uh, World War II is over. Uh, there's a lot of complexities about World War II. It's a lot of people think it was the good war. It's much more complicated than that. That's a topic for another time. But at any rate, there was a need in some people's minds to really go full bore for the unification and consolidation of Europe. Uh, integration. And one of the chief integrationists, actually it was two people. One of the main ones was Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands. Okay. Which was pretty much kind of the founder, or the first maybe CEO or chairman of the... Right, okay. right. But the real intellectual force behind it was a, an obscure uh, European integrationist activist named Joseph Redinger. Okay. Who sports some Jesuit um, background. Okay. He, he, he was connected somewhat with the Jesuit order. Um, whether that's directly relevant to Bilderberg is, is anybody's guess, but he had to have that in his background, in his pedigree. Okay. And so Joseph Redinger, you might say, enlists Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands in the early 1950s, late 40s, early 50s, and they're, they're part of what's called the European movement. Okay. Now, the CIA was interested in the European movement because they didn't want, from their point of view, they didn't want Germany or other parts of Europe to kind of run retrograde back to Hitler. Okay. They wanted to make sure that that sort of regime wouldn't form again. In, in their minds, that was their goal, that was the nature of things. Yeah. So they, they the, the CIA and other elements of the U.S. government would actually fund youth groups and youth movements and nation-to-nation uh, um, -nation exchange programs. And overall, it was known as the European movement and the CIA, and this is according to a, a noted historian, uh, Richard Aldrich, a Warwick University um, professor in the UK. And Aldrich um, tracked it down and found that the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States was behind much of the European movement, for reasons I stated, and funded the very first Bilderberg meeting at the Hotel de Bilderberg in the Netherlands. Okay. So the Bilderberg meeting was actually seeded with CIA money, which, you know, begins to get a little more like, hmm, what's this about? Yeah, what's, what, and when the CIA is getting involved in foreign governments, which is primarily that's what their, the Central Intelligence Agency is. I mean, they don't operate, or at least shouldn't operate on U.S. soil, but they, they do operate, you know, foreign and involved yeah, with foreign nations. It's so, much, it's but, but it's funny that they, yeah. that, you know, and that's probably one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that the CIA funded it. It was seed money that the CIA put to actually fund and, and uh, get it off the ground, so to speak. Right, so there was a big interest in European integration and um, some of it understandable. Okay, we had this terrible cataclysm known as World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's more complicated than we think. The U.S. and Britain didn't always wear the white hats. No belligerent inner wars without sin. So, at any rate, 
the first meeting is held and right away they install the meetings with pretty much absolute secrecy. Mm -hmm. So you have other groups that have existed longer than Bilderberg by that time. The Council on Foreign Relations founded in 1921 in New York. The Chicago Council on Foreign Relations a year later, 1922 in Chicago. Um, the Committee for Economic Development already existed. All these groups, or at least most of them, have tax-exempt status. So in varying degrees, they have to publish publications. They have to have some of their functions and meetings right. open to the public. Right. There has to be a certain amount of public spiritedness and openness about them in order to keep their tax exemptions. But here, here comes Bilderberg. They don't want to 501c3 or c4. Uh, nothing from the tax code for them. They want absolute secrecy founded on CAA money. And here's where the problem begins. You, you have this ostensibly good reason to form, you know, uh, European integration looks like a good thing. Let's do that. Let's not have this hyper-nationalism that might create belligerence. You know, although there's holes and problems with that theory of politics, right. we'll leave that aside right. for now. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it all looks good on paper, and they start meeting. And just to cut to the chase, up until now, they just held their 67th meeting in 65 years in Montreux, Switzerland, along the shores of Lake Geneva. Okay. So they've met 67 times in 65 years. The reason the numbers are off is because a couple of years they met twice, and they skipped 1976 because Prince Bernhard, who was still alive, was accused with good evidence of taking bribes in what's known as the Lockheed scandal. Okay. So some scandal touched Bilderberg of a, of a more obvious and concrete nature, uh, in the year of the U.S. Um, uh, bicentennial, 1976. So, okay, going back to the early days, and we're coming forward, um, they begin to have this meeting every year, and they're, they're meeting in hyper-secrecy, really. They're, they're not releasing who's going to be there. At first, there was no knowledge that they were even meeting. And Westbrook Pegler, a noted conservative leading columnist of his day, uh -huh. got wind from a well-to-do friend in Europe, hey Westbrook, we got a bunch of bigwigs skulking out in hotels, man, you better check it out. What's going on? So Westbrook gets in a plane or however he got there and got his binoculars and went up in the hills and started watching them. Wow. And he's looking and he's seeing the head of this bank and that bank meeting with the head of this parliament and, and that government department and this foreign minister and that finance minister meeting with uh, select corporate heads, some of the wealthiest people in the world, looking around like this as they close the door, sealing off the whole hotel. And when they look with their binoculars, armed guards circling the sealed off hotel, no regular customers allowed in. Yeah. Uh, they're basically like the old... Wow. Get, do you remember Get Smart, Jason? Yeah. Uh -huh. Do you remember the cone of silence? Yeah. A99, let's go there for the meeting. Uh, you know, we got to take on chaos. You know, they're going to they're gonna overcome us. So, yeah. so they meet in what you could define as a Get Smart style cone of silence. And Westbrook Pegler, who was probably as influential a columnist as Mike Royko was for the Chicago Tribune in his heyday, and, or Art Buckwall, Remember Art Buckwall? Yeah. Uh, you know, Westbrook Pregler, when he spoke, and this is before internet, you know, people listen. So he's, what's going on? And, and uh, I believe it was in Germany or Switzerland, and that was right in the headline. 
and um, all H-E-double-L broke loose and in time, without filling in all the blanks, but uh, over time, the exposure um, crept in against Bilderberg. Once Pegler broke the silence, or you know, uh, in terms of Bilderberg even existing, right. then other columnists or writers, whether they're poo-pooing it and saying it's no big deal, or they're like Pegler and going, what is this thing? Whatever their view, the name Bilderberg began to appear in print a little too much for their comfort zone. Yeah. So they, they, begin, they began to uh, issue very short press releases um, eventually. This is after you know, quite a long period of time. Uh, they were very begrudging, very reluctant to do anything. It took them a while. Yeah. So they finally began to issue um, little con communiques or have little press conferences. They claim that within a short period of time, a few years, they claim there was no interest in uh, press releases, press conferences, at least not much. And they went silent again. Okay. Now, not long before I began covering uh, their meetings, which is a task in itself that I can touch on, the internet came to the fore. Oh, I remember seeing email for the first time when I worked for the South Bend, Indiana Tribune in 1994. I had no idea what email was. And so I saw email for the first time. And so the internet really came, you know, came to the fore in the early to mid 90s. The first time I really went to websites and yeah. web surf for me was about 1996. Um, when I was still working for Michigan Weekly Newspapers, uh, covering school boards and, and whatnot, beginning to get into city and state and federal politics and getting into deeper things. But once the internet caught on and became, you know, all the rage, um, then internet media, websites, blogs, people with cell phones that could film, people with little uh, camcorders. Right. Um, even before we had iPhones and, and Androids and all that, and phones became this one-stop shop, um, that crept in and Bilderberg was pressured by the multiplicity of all the reporting, no longer just hard copy. They were pressured to create a website and they did. Bilderbergmeetings.org, that's their official site, Bilderbergmeetings.org, and it seems to have been created about 12 years ago. Okay. This is 2019. It was about 2011, 2010. It might have been as early as 09. But now when you go onto that website, you'll see literature that they posted, um, lists of their meeting topics, a reasonable amount of their attendees for each of the meetings, going back several decades right. now. So they've but they, but they don't. I, I, it's my understanding is that they actually don't uh, discuss who spoke. Attendees, they do schedules some of the subjects, but I guess it's what Chatham House rules that basically you can't whoever's speaking, you can't talk about who is the one speaking and who's the one kind of driving certain. That, that's that's exactly right. Once they had to admit that they exist and begrudgingly and very reluctantly try the press conferences, that was a no-go after a while. They claimed there was a no interest. I would have been interested, only I, I didn't know about Bilderberg yet. Yeah. But once they admitted their existence, they had to do something. They couldn't just say, yeah, we're here, now go away. Yeah. So they, they began to publish a very basic list of between 
on the, on the short end, there's, there's been some meetings with as few, a topic, a few official topics as seven or eight, as few as that, or normally now they have between 11 and 15. Okay. And that's official topics. That, what I mean by that is that's the ones, ladies and gentlemen, that they are willing to put out that they admit they're talking to or talking about, pardon right. me. Uh, or it's possible that they're using misdirection and they're putting a few dummy topics out there that they're not actually talking about at all. Yeah. Because um, now the Chatham House rule, uh, Chatham House is the Royal Institute for International Affairs at Chatham House, which is the residence where they meet. But it's called Chatham House for short. And that's within the area of the royal establishment, the crown, in downtown London. Uh, at my blog, um, I have pictures of me right outside Chatham House in the UK in 2018, standing right at the door. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I look like a hobbit from... Um, uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, because yeah. the door the is movie, the Hobbit. Yeah. yeah, the door is so unusually large that I, I look <laughs> I look small by comparison. And that's at my Facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash the Truth Hound. You'll see me standing outside, ladies and gentlemen, outside Chatham House. Well, they invented the Chatham House rule. <clears throat> the Chatham House rule, be, because Bilderberg had to release some of their information, a little bit about what they're talking about. The 130, 140 people that show up every year out of the public and private sectors across the broad spectrum of power listing their names. So they had to admit all that so they look like they're at least somewhat publicly responsible. But what they did to counteract that was put in, as you suggested, the, the Chatham House rule. And what that is, is it says that each member is sworn to a degree of secrecy which involves, if you and I were members, and you called for a higher tax for the European Union. Uh -huh. And if somebody were to ask me, a reporter, what did you guys talk about? They claim that I can say, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at liberty to disclose, well, we discussed taxes for the European Union. However, I cannot say that Jason Mangum is the one that brought up that idea. Um, now, the whole Chatham House rule <clears throat> is a little strange because... It works on paper, but I have found so far, I stress the word so far, that it doesn't actually work in real life. Because the claim is, is that you, if you're a Bilderberg attendee, Jason, and I'm an independent reporter, I can call you on the phone, uh -huh. and you are at liberty to tell me generally some of the things that were said, but as I said, you're not allowed to say who said what. Right. But the problem with that is that it, it runs both ways. If you're trying to be pretty secret or discreet about what you're talking about, if, if you're even at liberty to tell me what was said but not who said it, you're still telling me quite a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> but on the other hand, why go to that trouble of telling me what was said? What's the big deal about who said it? I mean, if you're going to go that far and allow someone to be at liberty to tell me a little bit about what was said... Why close off or why why obscure or hide who said it? Yeah, um, it, it's a, it's a weird kind of duality or polarity there that alternative reporters who are mainly those those are the main ones that give Bilderberg any serious thought. There's some exceptions, but they're they're the main ones. It's a strange dichotomy. It's like okay, you're willing to tell me a little bit about what was said, but not who said it. But here's the catch: if you call them and say, well, what was said, they'll say, I can't tell you. Yeah. So the Chatham House rule, 
who the and the, the current president or CEO of what's his exact title? Robin Niblet, Dr. Robin Niblet. Uh, that's his actual name, N-I-B-L-E-T-T, -T, Dr. Robin Niblet. Robin is a man. <clears throat> He's the, the head of Chatham House. And he actually was quoted as saying, for the Chatham House rule that came out of their Royal Institute, that it's, it's a type of openness. It, it helps with openness, but yet it helps protect certain people. But in real life, it doesn't work because they still won't tell you anything. Right. Or they won't return your call to begin with, or they won't return your email. So as a practical matter, I have never heard of someone who's attended Bilderberg once or twice or 10 times or became a member of the steering committee. I have never heard one of them substantially and substantively with details about any one subject or, or, or multiplicity of subjects reveal anything. So, um, so it's almost like... It doesn't work. It doesn't work and it's almost like, I mean, it's like here's, these, these are established rules to tell, to, these are the established rules and you follow these rules as far as diverging information or not, or keeping information private, right? Right. But the fact of the matter is they still don't say anything. It's still secret. It's still kept. And it's almost to me like even with the new website you were talking about that they established this with their schedule, with topics. You said as few as maybe seven more, uh, you know, maybe more like what? Up to upwards of 15. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. That could, be all, that could be yeah. all fabricated. Or, or partly. My, my, partly. My, my view is that yeah. there's some real ones and there's some um, decoys in there. Yeah. So if something did come up, they could always follow the script, so to speak. That's right. You know, it's everybody's on the same page. It's a default. Everybody's on the same page. These are the topics we discuss, but it never goes further than that. Everything else is secret. So there's really no knowledge of what they really talk about. Um, a little bit gets out. My, my uh, former colleague, Jim Tucker, with whom I worked um, as a freelancer, he... He was a staffer for American Free Press, a controversial paper in some people's eyes. But at any rate, um, Jim focused on Bilderberg. That's it. That was pretty much his baby. I helped him a little bit. That's how I learned the ropes. I cover Bilderberg independently now. And for Stop the Presses, that's my news um, organization, my news um, association, I call it. It's a loose collaboration with other independent journalists. Right. There's no formality about it. Right. Uh, we don't have a steering committee. <laughs> and there's no Chatham House rule. We're very open as we're being on this video. Exactly. And um, the situation is such where, as I say, as a general rule, the Chatham House rule doesn't work because they're, they're too reluctant on an individual level to say anything. Because I think they feel that once they say something, even if they don't divulge who said what, that they'll slip. Yeah. That someone won't approve of what they did divulge. Right. And so it, it, it's not working. So what we have, ladies and gentlemen, is, is 67 um, meetings over 65 years of almost total secrecy on the world's most powerful banking elites. Um, the, I'll go by this year just to, just to form a template or to, to an illustration. Yeah. The, the head of the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, near the head, one of the top dogs of the London School of Economics, 
the head of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, the Global School Board, yeah. that a lot of Christians and conservatives have a big, big problem with. Um, matter of fact, I brought a, if you'll indulge me, uh, the two, two people with Goldman Sachs, the huge investment bank, the chairman and the CEO, the governor of the Bank of England, now, the Bank of England is the square mile. That's the financial district within Greater London. And it's known as the City of London. It is a separate principality unto itself. Okay. Mostly Rothschild and other banking interests. Morgan um, and uh, or those connected to um, Les Ed Ferris, if I'm saying that right. And um, Kuhn and Loeb. And down the list of, of all the interlocking... Um, banking powers and banking houses that have grown up over the centuries. Okay. So Mark Carney, who's actually a Canadian by birth, uh, is governor of the Bank of England from that square mile. The head of NATO every year it used to be Anders Fogh Rasmussen, the former Danish PM. Mm -hmm. Now it's Jens Stoltenberg. So you have all these heavy hitters, World Economic Forum, London School of Economics, UNESCO, Goldman Sachs, NATO, governor of the Bank of England. Um, You've had Federal Reserve bankers there, including Ben Bernanke at one time, our, our former chairman, okay. when he was chairman. He, he wasn't in a subordinate position. So you've got the very most powerful people from those organizations meeting with heads of state, Dutch royalty, um, the very most powerful corporations like Nestle, um, the high-tech crowd from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is now heavily represented there. Eric Schmidt, Alex Karp. Uh, Craig Mundy yeah. and others. <clears throat> and so uh, Peter Thiel, PayPal founder, mm -hmm. uh, big investment banker. Um, and so you've got 140, 150 people, about one third from North America, the other, the two thirds from Europe, meeting um, along, with, along with what I listed, major academics. And one of the big, uh, most revealing things is select media who are allowed inside to co-mingle and break bread with this uh, tight-knit group of bankers and heads of state and uh, prime ministers and finance ministers, academics, uh, high-tech people, and so on. Uh, captains of industry, the very most powerful industries, many of them connected to defense and big defense contracts. So you've got select media going in, but they leave their notebooks and their journalistic ethics at the door and agree ahead of time not to cover it. They're subject to the same Chatham House rule, and they're commingling and collaborating, some would say colluding with this wow. group wow. that's now been meeting for nearly 70 years. And that is where a big problem arises, Jason, because a journalist is supposed to be cut from a little different cloth. A journalist is not supposed to assist in governance as a general rule. Right. And if they do, they and they leave their journalistic notebook and ethics and video cameras and voice recorders at the door, then they're making a very big leap that I don't think the journalists attending at Bilderberg are thinking very hard about. But past years, um, up to this year, journalists have been attending in pretty high numbers. And by journalists, I mean, uh, they could be a owner of a TV station in Spain, they could be an anchor from Finland or uh, Denmark, mm -hmm. or they could be reporters or columnists. Uh, but 
as Bilderberg has went along over the decades, now we're seeing 10, 12, 14 journalists of, 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 in this cross-section I'm discussing, which means 10%, 120 people. 10% journalists. 12 people out of 120 is 10%. 14 people out of 140 is 10%. Yeah. Now, but can't report anything that's going on. Won't. Not just yeah. can't, but won't. But won't. Right. And so there is a huge problem, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I hope this has helped kind of enlighten people. I'll fill in a more blanks in part two as we get into the minutiae. Who attended this year? A little bit of an idea of what might have been discussed uh, at the 2019 meeting in Switzerland. A little bit about recent years, 2018 Denmark and so on. And I'll fill in more blanks in part two. We've described this group as having uh, started in the Netherlands. It, it uh, really forwarded the European integrationist movement. And I'd be amiss to, uh, to um, not to say that a big project that Bilderberg helped nurture and some of its early members who did break their silence just a tiny bit, they admitted this, that Bilderberg helped nurture converting the European coal and steel community into the European community, which became the European economic community. And it went through this metamorphosis and all these phases and eventually became, with the Treaty of Lisbon, the European Union. So the European Union that the British voted to exit from, what's known as Brexit in June of 2016, that European Union was partly nurtured in the incubator of Bilderberg. Seated, as I said, started with CIA money because C the CIA had a hand in the early European movement yeah. that I described. So uh, now we're looking at a world uh, where the EU is a big block, uh, the second largest economic block besides the United States, if, if memory serves. It's, it's one of the top dogs. And so now we have a vastly reconstructed world. Uh, the, the liberal um, rules-based world order that was built coming out of World War II included the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, well, the, the, the beginnings of the World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund, and these organizations coming out of the Bretton Woods Conference, which was in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, in the, in the waning days of World War II. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it, it was June of 1944. Those, organization form, for, those organizations formed what's called the Rules-Based World Order, the Council on Foreign Relations, Chicago Council on Global Affairs, the uh, Chatham House, and all these other institutes have embraced this liberal world order, liberal trade, mm -hmm. liberal integration policies, even liberal social policies, um, which includes uh, a lot of uh, um, liberal experimentation with the social order, very much embracing uh, abortion, very much embracing feminism, uh, equal rights of the wrong sort, things like that, which a lot of people don't want to talk about, even yeah. the alternative media. Yeah. Leaving that aside for now, Bilderberg came along as this rules-based world order was coming out of World War II. Bilderberg kind of insinuated itself with that and has been a driving force behind the scenes with the most visible of the highly secretive meetings we've ever seen in recent American history. Another irony about Bilderberg, they're the most visible highly secretive meeting. <laughs> Much like the, the irony of the Chatham House rule. Yeah, it's open, but we don't want to talk about it. You no, know, it, it leads to more openness, but we ain't saying anything. Yeah. We can say what, what happened in general, but we can't say who said what, but we're still not going to tell you anything. And so, 
and you add to that the journalists that go there but vow not to report, and you've got a, a collusive, nebulous, nefarious sounding, nefarious looking, nefarious smelling situation yeah. that just doesn't pass the smell test in my opinion. And I know a lot of people uh, watching are say, oh, this is just conspiracy theory. But all the names, all the developments I've cited come right out of Bilderberg's own literature or the literature of the think tanks and institutes that are in uh, cross-pollination with Bilderberg. Yeah. Um, I'm not making up any names. I'm not making up any topics. Uh, none of the years, none of the, the, the founding of the CIA money uh, was researched by Professor Aldrich. Um, it's only a matter of whether people think this is okay or not. Because of the journalistic element, behaving in the way I described, set up in the way I described, and because we live in a very fragile economic and political and military and social order, yeah. I just don't think secrecy involving people of a small, tight-knit group uh, who have these kinds of credentials, I don't think secrecy is a good thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm a minority. If I am, so be it. Yeah. So that's all right. So maybe in just a couple couple more minutes, we've just got a couple of minutes. Um, how would you say, as far as Bilderberg, where does it fit in the food chain? Where is it? And then how does it fit in with, you know, because people hear words like one world order and there's all these things with that globalist agenda. Maybe just in closing, you can kind of describe that. Yeah, well, it fits in. Um, I think what I said a minute ago would, would be part of the, the answer to your question, Jason. It's, it's been a nurturing and networking and planning and brainstorming element of the rules-based world order, the, the new global order with integrated Europe that the elites, the, the most powerful people out of banking and politics and so on, that the elites foresaw as what they thought would be the best way for humankind to live. Yeah. Um, um, they would tell you that this is the answer to uh, dictatorships for Mussolini and Hitler and whatnot, and we shouldn't have dictatorship. But the fact of the matter is, is that the EU is simply another form of dictatorship. Right. That now has all regulations the, and everything to control. Yeah, taxation, regulations, right. fiscal union, where they make more and more budgetary decisions in Brussels, Belgium, and de de deprive each individual nation state who's a member of the EU. They're slowly but surely depriving them of setting up their own budgets and their yeah. own tax taxes and their own economic sovereignty. Banking is becoming more centralized. They, they created the euro and now the only EU member with its own currency uh, if, and I'm pretty sure I got this right is the UK. They, they didn't want to surrender the pound. Right. So now the euro we have the eurozone. So one dictatorship was replaced by another or, or a couple different European dictatorships were replaced by another. Um, in terms of central rule and autocracy and a diminishment of economic rights within each member nation. And um, now the, the crown, uh, the, 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 the top of the pyramid or the capstone on the pyramid now is that with all the, these different unions, fiscal union and currency union, now we have a defense union coming into focus where the European Union, simply put, is forming its own army. Now, semantically, that's not exactly right, but there's there's a European Defense Union forming. Yeah. And NATO now has a partner. And NATO is also a 1949 creation out of 
um, out of the United Nations Charter. Right. The, the articles of the United Nations Charter provided for regional security. NATO is, is the child of that. Right. NATO and Bilderberg have always been intertwined. Almost every year there's been the head of NATO there. Because in this nurturing and planning and brainstorming and intelligence briefings that Bilderberg represents, yeah. NATO is there uh, to provide the defense element of that, while others provide the economic, central banking, uh, journalistic, media, and other... Yeah, people. because it's all of these different. Yeah, it's, it, it, it reaches into every realm, and it has an influence into every single one of those realms. Because we're talking about the elite of the elite. Oh, I mean, we're talking about people in government, parliament, in high levels of government, not just, you know, yeah, but... These are the creme de la creme people, right. mostly, that are there, and I'll get into that. They're the influencers and... and in, in their respective fields. In their respective fields coming together, so... So think of it... Yeah, think of it as Bilderberg being the hub, the, the, the center hub, and the Trilateral Commission and certain government agencies and the Council on Foreign Relations... And the Bank of England being the spokes that okay. feed that hub. Got it. And then as the different people from the public and private sectors meet, yeah. they all diverge to their own place in society, yeah. their stations. So you see everything spinning, but it's all based on that one axle. That nucleus. That nucleus. Right. And everything else rotates around it and is coming out of it. Okay. And getting their, almost getting their orders from it. Yeah, there's input and there's output, yeah. and this is simply the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. This is the way power politics works. It's not conspiracy theory. All of this is pretty plain. You just have to know where to look and have the willpower and the stick-to-itiveness to look at it. Those of us that have eked out a living doing independent journalism have simply taken the time to do what most people are too busy working or raising their families to do. Exactly. And, and it, it just... It's just real politic. It's the way the world works. Uh, private sector, banking, and other interests want a governance network of their own. They're not always willing, and, and rather, they're actually rather unwilling, to right. wait for the slower, cumbersome, democratic, and republic mechanisms involving the voters and the will of the people. They don't have the patience, time, uh, patience or time to wait for that. Their profit margins don't do very well when dealing with democratic right. principles. So they they are by design or default undemocratic. It, yeah. it almost can't be helped. Um, and so wanting an internet, wanting an international consensus, wanting to reach um, a a point in their deliberations where they can move independently of nation states and even form systems that submerge nation states in larger blocks like the EU. Yeah. That's just the natural thing for them to do in the interest of power and <coughs> profit right. and advancement, keeping the money close to their chest, keeping uh, the money within the bloodlines that they want and, and moving this forward. And um, that's basically uh, the the framework of Bilderberg. So basically, that's the ABCs. Everybody, thanks for watching. You know, I, I want to say this, that anything, when you have elites or you have people of great influence and great power come together and forge something in secrecy, that's dangerous. That you, we should know what's going on. And especially if our government is involved in any part of it. It's almost like uh, Bilderberg to describe it, Bilderberg to describe it just in closing. 
It's like this chess table. You see the king and the queen and the knight and everyone else, even the pawns on the table. But you're not seeing the people that are moving the pieces on the board. And that's what Bilderberg is like. That's the you thing. might Yeah, it's yeah. excellent analogy. So you have you have the unseen hand moving the pieces on the board, and that's what Bilderberg is doing. So thank you for watching the video.